Thanks for joining us through the Crossbridge Podcast. We hope this message speaks to you wherever you may be on your spiritual journey and helps you take your next step of growth in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Crossbridge or to speak with one of our ministry team members, please visit crossbridge.church. Welcome to Crossbridge. My name is Kevin, and I want to welcome all of those at, at our surrounding campuses, Peru, Morris, as well as online. Uh, it's always a privilege to be able to share with you, and uh, we're continuing. In fact, this is the last week of The Struggle is Real, and I know you're probably aware that I'm excited about the next series, which is called Fork in the Road. And uh, so if you're thinking, like, should I go back next week, and you're at that fork, yeah, why don't you come on back? So, um, hey, I want to also celebrate last week. I know that uh, if you if you worshiped with us last week, um, we, we had a card that you could fill out. Uh, we talked about you know, in a sense, taking some next steps, and many of you did. In fact, we had 25 people who indicated across all of our campuses that they were interested in baptism. And so that is really, really exciting when we begin to see movement in our people to take next steps uh, to grow spiritually. Hey, uh, this story, it's about Gideon. You, know, you watched that video, and uh, Gideon's a really cool story in the Bible. In fact, there's a lot to it. And so, again, I'm just picking pieces. But as you read, I think you'll enjoy the story of, of Gideon. And it kind of starts like this. One day, um, an angel visits Gideon. Now, keep this in mind. Gideon, is, uh, he's a farmer, okay? Many of you know farmers. I'm sure we got farmers at all of our campuses. And uh, Gideon's a farmer. And, and God is calling him to move from farmer to mighty warrior. You, you know, I know some farmers who could be warriors, right? But this is not a typical kind of progression, I would think, uh, that one would move from farming to leading an army, right? And uh, Judges 6.13 says this, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did you not bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Here's, here's what I want you thinking about. From a lower story perspective, God has moved mountains to get the Israelites into this promised land. But from their point of view, it seems like he's abandoned them. In fact, you know, when you think about Gideon, uh, where in the world would this abandonment be coming from? What is he talking about? There, there were a pagan people called the Midianites, and they had oppressed the Israelites for seven straight years. In fact, when the angel showed up to visit Gideon, he was hiding in a, a wine press to thresh wheat so the Midianites wouldn't come and steal it. In Judges chapter 6, verse 1, it says, The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord handed them over to Midian for seven years. And here's what you need to know, too. The Midianites, were, they were powerful people, but they were also people who showed no mercy. They would not be a good people to be under when it comes to oppression. In fact, every year around harvest time, the Midianites would invade Israel. And verse 5 tells us they would come in like locusts and they would just ravage the land. What they, what they couldn't carry with them, they destroyed. The Bible reports that it was so bad that many of the Israelites left their homes to live in caves and strongholds, fearing their lives. This was not good, and it had been going on for seven years. Now, keep this in mind, too. 
this wasn't the only time that Israel had been under oppression. In fact, over a period of 330 years, they were oppressed by many. Think about it this way. Mesopotamia oppressed them for eight years. The Moabites oppressed them for 18 years. The Canaanites for 20 years. The Midianites for seven years. The Ammonites for 18 years. And the Philistines for 40 years. You're talking about 100, for any of you mathematicians, 111 years of oppression. So it's not a leap to say they would come to a place where they would feel abandoned. And from the upper story, um, I think one would, if you're one of them, right, you would question, does God even know what's going on? It was kind of interesting in Deuteronomy chapter 31. I'm not going to read that to you, but here's the deal. It basically says this is exactly what's going to happen. Like you're going to move into this land of milk and honey, but you're going to end up turning to other gods and worshiping them and rejecting me, and then disasters and calamities will come on you, right? And, uh, and it tells that basically they will be oppressed in a mess. And Israel is experiencing the oppression from the surrounding people due to one thing, that again, they were not keeping their part of the covenant. In fact, under Joshua, they did great. But this is what we learn. Listen to Judges chapter 2, verse 10. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Talking about a group of people who, like, they just clearly, they don't remember the past. They're not acknowledging God. They're doing their own thing. Um, here's the pattern we see over and over in the Old Testament in, in some of these stories, especially when it comes to Israel. Here, here it is. Israel sins. Um, Israel is oppressed by a surrounding nation. Eventually, they cry out to the Lord, and then eventually they repent. And when this happened, God would raise up a judge to deliver them, and then the cycle would start all over again. Sin, oppression, cry out, repent. God would raise up a judge to deliver them. And, and you watch this, it's over and over and over. And so that's exactly what God is doing right here. He's, he's breaking into Gideon's life and he's saying, I have chose you to be the one who's going to deliver them at this point in time from their oppression of the Midianites. And when it dawns on Gideon that he's been selected to move from farming to mighty warrior, he's stunned, right? In fact, I think, I think he's shocked um, would, would, would be an understatement. In fact, here's what he says in Judges chapter 6. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Isn't that like God? To pick the one who would say, why in the world would you pick me? I am the least. I am the weakest. Why in the world, God, would, would you pick this farmer to lead, lead this group of people out of this mess? As we've seen before in Abraham and Moses, God chooses unlikely heroes to lead the charge on his behalf. And uh, here's what I want you to think about. This is hope for all of us who feel less than God's number one draft pick. God likes it when he has a team that needs some miraculous that only he can pull off. Think about that. God likes it when he has a leader and a team that needs some miraculous that only he can pull off. 
you know, uh, God must be a Cardinal fan right now because um, we need some miraculous. I'm just going to tell you, this last that last weekend was awful. Um, that's all I'm going to say about it. I am going to admit that, though. It was really, really, really bad. Um, but listen to this. Listen to how God stacks the deck for a miraculous win. God wants this battle to be obvious. He wants everyone to know that this was not uh, about the people. This was about his hand being in on this. In fact, God told Gideon that the 32,000 soldiers that were available, see, think about this, that's quite an army, right? Gideon had 32,000 soldiers, but here's what he says, that's too many. In fact, he does this creative kind of weeding out process. You wait till you read about it. And he reduces this army from 32,000 to 300. Um, It's all about how they drink water. Um, And he gets them down to 300 people, 300 soldiers to come against the mighty Midianites. To make matters worse, here's what he says. He says, hey, you 300, um, it's time for me to distribute weapons. He doesn't distribute swords. He doesn't distribute, you know, things that you would want to use in battle. He passes out jars of clay with torches in the middle of them and trumpets to use as their weapons of choice. Can you imagine being a part of that 300? Uh, You'd be thinking, okay, I get a candle and a trumpet. What in the world am I going to do with a candle and a trumpet, especially when there's only 300 of us? And the nighttime comes, it's time for battle. There's 300 soldiers surrounding the camp of the Midianites and they're sitting in the valley. And all at once, Gideon's command, um, he says, hey, break the jars of clay when I tell you to. And so they break those jars, it lights up, right? It illuminates. And then they all blow the trumpets at the very same time. And here's what scripture tells us. Um, This scripture tells us that when they blew those trumpets, the Midianites were thinking, oh my word, if there's 300, I messed this up last week, if there's 300 people blowing trumpets, how many soldiers must be behind them? And it says that they turned um, basically on themselves and they took their own lives. This story seems to point out that as we battle the things we face, it's less about what we are equipped with in our hands and it's more about what we are equipped with in our hearts. Now, here's where it's going to get real for us, okay? I want to just point out some things about this story. Um, Our downfall, our downfall, Israel's downfall, and and we're not a lot different. You you may look back and say, man, we are so different than what they are. And I would just say, man, take a closer look because uh, I I think we're, we're very similar. But our downfall is always sin. Our downfall is always sin. Sin defined like this. Let's start with a definition that says this. We define sin as a willful violation of a known law of God. Willful, you know, like willful violation of a known law of God. I remember in seventh grade shop class, um, I, I, uh, it was shop class, right? I was never very good with my hands. Um, when it comes to working on things and to be able to use the tools and to be able to work on things and, you know, do the things I was supposed to do in shop class, I had to pass a safety test. And uh, it was a written test and, you know, it was all about the tools and different things. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I think because it was shop class, it had slipped my mind and I did not study for it. And, uh, and I found myself sitting in seventh grade shop class uh, trying to take a test that I knew very little about. And I remember sitting there and uh, thinking, I am going to flunk this thing. And 
uh, and you know, and it just crossed my mind. I looked over, and my neighbor, his name was Jason, Jason Burnett. And uh, now Jason, let me tell you something about Jason. Jason was sharp. He was smart. And, uh, and I looked over and I thought, hmm, the Lord has blessed me with a wonderful neighbor named Jason. Now, did I know it was wrong? I absolutely did. But I looked over and I kind of just gave Jason a little like, <clears throat> you know, and he looked at me. And, and basically what I said through my eyes was like, you got to move your arm, dude, because I can't see what you're writing. And so sure enough, he moved his arm and man, I went to town and I started writing and uh, I knew, like I thought, if I put what he puts, it's going to be a good day in shop class. And, and I was writing all this stuff down. And, uh, and the next thing I knew, I mean, it came time to turn that thing in. And when I went to turn it in, the, the teacher said, hey, let's, let's go out in the hall. And he took me and Jason. Um, let me tell you, that didn't go well. In fact, um, I felt terrible, right? Because, I mean, Jason was not cheating off me. Let me, let me just put that, uh, make that clear. But both of us got zeros. Both of us got a phone call home, and I was digging out a shop class for the rest of the semester. Um, here's the deal. We've all sinned. We've all made a willful decision to do something when we've known it was wrong. In fact, my guess is most of us, including myself, we don't have to look back to seventh grade. We probably have to look back a few weeks ago, or maybe some of you are like, all I got to do is look back and uh, think about the car ride here on the way to church, whatever it may be. But, but here's the deal. We know we've had those places. And, and, and here, Israel's in this terrible cycle, the same kind of cycle we find ourselves in, the cycle that plays way too much out in our lives that truthfully we just don't like to talk about. We make terrible decisions that do not honor God. We reap the consequences of sin that always lead to death and destruction of whatever's in its way, primarily us. We feel, in the midst of that, we feel like God has abandoned us. And we get to the point where we cry out. And then what we discover, if, if we're attentive, is God delivers us. And he sets us free from our sin. This cycle, though, it can be exhausting. And here's what I also know, just human nature, right? For many of us, um, I think sometimes we get to the point where we think that cycle's happened so many times in my life is when I cry out, is God actually going to hear me on the 88th time? Or, you know, some of you, you know, the, the 1400th time, all of us, right? Like, is, is God still going to respond and hear me and, and wipe away that sin when I cry out? And here's what I would tell you. I think sometimes the enemy wants to paint this picture in your head that says, yep, that's it. You have crossed the line. Uh, God loves you no more, and there is no more grace for you. And, and what I would say is I, I just don't read that about God. I, I think God is always looking for us to turn to him. And here's the other thing I'd say, that God is not slow to respond when we are at a place where we're genuinely sorry and we're willing to cry out. In fact, there's a quote um, because here's what I know too about sin. Sin is painful. Sin always leads us to places that causes pain. And, um, and, and I even think when we get to that place where we're willing to cry out, it's usually because we're at a bad place. There's a quote that I shared with you. Actually, I saw it again this week. It's um, by C.S. Lewis, and I've shared it with you before, and it says this. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. How true is that? 
that oftentimes, you know, we finally get to the place where we're willing to cry out. It's usually because we're at a place of pain. We're at a place where the struggle is so real. We've had so much and we want to be done with it. I was thinking about um, even my own son uh, just, just this last week. Uh, he went to spend the night with a friend, and, and before he'd asked me to go spend the night with a friend, and I said, hey, that, that's fine, but before you go, my daughter had a friend spending the night as well at our house. Before you go, I need you to go downstairs, and I need you to unhook your Xbox, and I need you to get that TV back ready where the girls can watch a movie. And he said, oh, okay, Dad, I'm on it. I got it, right? And so the girls get home later on, and uh, they're downstairs, and they're getting ready for their movie, and so I go down with them, and I discover that the Xbox is still sitting out, that the Xbox is still hooked up and that the, what they need to watch that movie is not ready to go. Um, at that point in time, I, I was upset. And so I call my son, who is on his cell phone 24-7, right? But it's just weird. When I call, he doesn't pick up. And so I call multiple times. He doesn't pick up, but I know where he is. So I get in my car, and I'm driving over to the house he's spending the night. And by this time, you know how it goes. Like, I'm angry. He finally he texts me back. And so I call him and I say, buddy, if I call you like 14 times, you probably shouldn't text me back. You should call me back, right? And, and what I said to him was this. I said, hey, I asked you to do that Xbox and, and get that TV ready. And you didn't, right? You didn't. And now the girls are downstairs and they can't watch a movie. And so I said to him, I said, Gerald, um, here's the deal. I'm going to go back home and, and you're going to tell me what to do like to get this TV ready. But if I can't get it done, I'm going to get you from your friends, and you're going to come home, and you're going to fix this thing. And, uh, and I could tell he was like, Dad, I'm so sorry. And I'd like to say that I said it all that calmly. Um, I didn't. And, and you know, like, I, I felt bad, right? And had to go back to Gerald and say, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry uh, that, I, that I lost it a little bit with you, but I was annoyed because I asked you to do something, and you didn't do it. Here, here's here's where we both are, right? Like both of us needed to say, I'm sorry. I think there's sometimes with God where we come to the place and what he's looking for, I, I don't think he's burning with anger at us. I think what he's looking for though is to say, man, you're my child. I've told you what to do. I've told you what not to do, but you keep doing your own thing. I do think he gets frustrated with us. And, and here's what he's looking for. He's looking for us to confess, First John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I love that. He's just looking for us to say, I'm sorry, and I, and I don't want to do that again. I want to honor you. Listen, our greatest strength is not us. Our greatest strength is his presence, which lives in us. I love when um, Gideon replies and he says, how can I save Israel, right? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm least in my family. Here's what the Lord answers. I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. It's the idea. Here's what matters, Gideon. It doesn't matter how many people you have. It doesn't matter what kind of weapons you have. It doesn't matter that you're a farmer. What matters is that I go with you. I think for many of us, even who struggle to believe that God would want to use us to do kingdom kind of work, we, we struggle because we look at our own um, skills. Uh, we look at our own track record. Um, we, we look at the way in which we're made up. And what, I think what God is saying is quit looking at you and start looking at me because I'm the one who can help you with this. Now, here's the final piece of the story that I want you to see because 
I think this is really, really good. Judges chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. Listen to this. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family, I love, this is the human side, right? Because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than the daytime. Here's, here's oftentimes what um, I noticed in the story of Gideon, but I also notice in our lives as well, that I, I, I do believe this. God starts his work on the inside of us. And I think God encourages us to do deep inside work before we ever get to doing his work on the outside. I think oftentimes he says, hey, you've got some house cleaning to do before we ever get out of the house. And that's what's happening in this story. Um, so here, here's what he's saying. There's, there's this Baal worship going on, right? They've turned to other gods, not the Lord our God, right? And, uh, and, and it's so interesting, right? Because it is, it is Gideon's father who is the one who's built this Baal, this, this idol. And so what God is saying is, I want you to go and I want you to tear down your father's Baal. I, I want you to tear it down. And, um, and obviously you can see he's conflicted. In fact, it says he takes his 10 servants, but he doesn't go during the day. And there's a reason. He goes at night because he's scared of his family and he's scared of the townspeople. When that story goes on, um, and, you know, basically the townspeople get up the next morning and they're like, we want Gideon's head, right? In fact, they go to Gideon's dad and, and they say, hey, your son tore down your, like, your idol that you built. They tore down Baal. And um, here's what he says. He basically says, you know what? If, if Gideon tore down Baal, then Baal will deal with Gideon. And, uh, and I thought it was really kind of a great, it was a great way to respond because I think what he was saying is if, if Baal really is the God that maybe we think he is, he'll take care of his own business. We don't have to take care of it for him. And uh, obviously that didn't come to fruition. But here's what I want you to think about. Can you imagine that process, even thinking through the evening, thinking, okay, I'm getting ready to go tear down this altar that my father built. Um, I'm sure there had to be those moments where he was thinking, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. Like, I don't wanna do that. And I don't even want to do it at nightfall. But here's what I love about Gideon. I think Gideon was recognizing that God was up to something significant in his life. I think Gideon was recognizing that God was calling him from farmer to mighty warrior. I think Gideon was, was recognizing that um, he was going to use him to set these people free. And at this point, I think Gideon's thinking, God, like I'm going in with 300, you know, uh, I want to be with you and I want to be in alignment with you because the only way this is going to happen is not by my hands. It's going to happen by yours. And so I think Gideon was walking a fine line of obedience. But, but here's what I love, that Gideon had the courage to tear down, to tear down in that community what stood between them and God, what stood between them and the worship of the one true God. What a challenge to us. 
the challenge would be is what it, would it look like for us to take courage, faith and courage, to take a look inside before we ever think about going outside, to take a look inside and say, God, what is it that stands between me and you? And what is it that I need to tear down? What is it that I need to get out the hatchet and just say, no more, I am not gonna have this in my life because it stands between you and me, God, and it stands between you doing through me what you wanna do through me. It, it stands like this sin between you and me can't be there. I think what would it look like for us as God's people to get serious about that? To say, I'm gonna cut it down so that God can begin to rebuild it. I'm gonna do my best to cut it out of my life so God can begin to do a new thing. Man, this, this resonated with me this week. And, um, and I tell you, for all of us, I think there's times where we have to take a serious look and say, what is it? that is standing between me and you, God. And, and to be serious enough about it that we're willing to do something. Even, even if it's scary, even if it means under the dark of night, we're gonna go out and we're gonna take it out. We're gonna, we're gonna clip it at its root so that God can begin to do his incredible thing. I'm gonna ask the worship team and the campus pastors um, to really to take it over from here to come um, and to lead you as, as you do your best to take a look and say, God, what are you speaking to me about? And give me the courage to respond in obedience to what you're calling me to respond to. Thanks again for joining us for the Crossbridge podcast. The mission of Crossbridge is to lead others into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'd love to partner with you on your spiritual journey. So please let us know how we can come alongside you and support you and pray for you by visiting crossbridge.church.